Hey guys, real quick, before we get started, I have a small request. If you've been blessed by our content and you like this show, would you take just a brief moment and leave us a five-star review? This is quite possibly the most effective thing that you can do to ensure that this content gets out to as many people as possible. Thanks. Hi, welcome to another episode of Theology Applied. I am your host, Pastor Joel Webbin with Right Response Ministries, and you are about to listen to one of my all-time favorite episodes. What we're doing for the month of July is we're taking four of my personal favorite episodes that also happen to be four of the most popular episodes that we've ever done, and this is an interview between myself and Rachel Jankovic. Rachel Jankovic. She's written a book called uh, You Who? dealing with um, women and uh, sadly the obsession that many of them have in finding identity and worth and value in and of themselves. And in this particular episode, what we focus on is the biblical merit or lack thereof with women's ministries. Basically, we are addressing the question of whether or not women's ministries in local churches is actually biblical. Spoiler alert, the answer is, in many cases, no. And we'll tell you precisely why. Thanks for tuning in. Applying God's Word to every aspect of life. This is Theology Applied. All right, welcome back to another episode of Theology Applied. This is Pastor Joel Webin with Right Response Ministries. Today, I have Rachel Jankovic as a guest on our show. And we're going to be talking about the title for our topic is How Women's Ministry Went Wrong. How Women's Ministry Went Wrong. And so I feel like Rachel has a lot to say about this. She's um, she's spoken about this in, in her writing, her blogs, her her podcasting, all those kinds of things. And so I'm really excited and honored and privileged to have her as a guest. So without further ado, uh, Rachel, could you tell our audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Um, I am a wife and mother. That's that's what I do with my life. I'm uh, married to Luke. We have seven kids, ages almost 16 down to almost five. Um, so most of my life, what I'm doing is feeding people, taking people to school, doing the laundry. That's, that's really what I do. Um, but I also have written a few books for mothers and then followed that up with a book on identity, uh, because of how many identity problems I was seeing among Christian mothers when they would ask questions. I think actually you just don't understand what it means to be a Christian and what your life is supposed to be like and what you're for. And um, that one's called Yoo-Hoo. And then I'm heavily involved in the Bible reading challenge and just trying to be a faithful Christian wife and mother here in Moscow, Idaho. That's great. Uh, let's go ahead and just dive right into our topic. Uh, what are some of the problems that you see with the typical women's ministry in our local churches today? Okay. It's um, a big, that's a real big question. I would say I I think that women's ministry probably started as like a women's auxiliary type event in churches, mm. uh, meaning that women were getting together to work on behalf of the church. Like, you know, you think of wartime things or even trying to earn money for the organ or, you know, whatever it was that they were doing, women were getting together to work together. And mm. that was, that was the goal. Well, as uh, our culture, things have really shifted. So if you think about that old old school kind of women are sewing quilts and crocheting baby blankets for the needy, well, that's less likely to be needed now, right? Mm -hmm. We don't need, we don't actually need people to be crocheting 
the blankets because we have mass produced things. We have, you know, like the, right. the situation, the cultural situation changed. So what I think happened is you still had this women getting together, but we, but we made the women in the church themselves, the work of the women mm. in the church. So instead of women working shoulder to shoulder for the kingdom and for the gospel, it turned into a circle where we're facing one another, yeah. where we're, where it's all about ourselves. And, and I think that's unhealthy. Yeah. That, that, that makes a lot of sense. I feel like, um, in our, in our nation today, you know, you always hear the term easy believism. And we could say that part of the problem with the evangelical church in America is, is it's just too, too dang easy to be a Christian. And it sounds like kind of part of what you're saying is, um, maybe more specifically, it's too easy to be a Christian woman. Uh, there's just because of right, modern the bar conveniences. Is very low. <laughs> yeah, because of modern conveniences. Yeah. So I hear you saying that if I want to love my wife well, I need to uh, to sell our dishwasher and microwave. Is that correct? <laughs> of course. Yeah, that's what I mean. No, and I I actually have I serve on what is effectively our women's ministry in a church in our church. Um, we, but I can say that it's a tremendous blessing of fellowship for women to be working together towards something. So yeah. I'm not suggesting that we discard the ways that women get to know each other, the ways that we support one another, the ways that women can be thoughtful of one another. Uh, but the focus of what we're trying to do has an awful lot to do with how healthy that kind of support will be, right? Yeah. Like yeah. how healthy, how actually God-centered, how uh, actually encouraging the health is. So. You asked me, I mean, I only said one thing that I think right. has gone wrong. But if you think about this system we've made where the women are all facing each other mm -hmm. and you have women in charge whose job it is to have needy women in the church, right? It's essentially oh. a welfare system. Like they would think that the women's ministry is failing if nobody shows up mm -hmm. for it. But if all the women are not desperately emotionally needy and they don't need to go, they're like, I don't need to show up for this mm. moment because they're not needed to work. It's like, therefore they're consumers of ministry, right? They're supposed mm. to come and receive something that will bless them. Mm. If they're not coming, that would be seen as a failure right. of somebody. But the reality is they might just be doing well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they might be spiritually healthy yeah. and that that would kill off the women's ministry in, in some ways. Yeah. Uh, and the other way is that problem that you end up with women teachers where the godly women in the church are uh, become sort of the pastors for women right. instead of being instead of themselves being the most hospitable, the most, uh, you know, like instead of them pursuing the roles that women are called to, they are turning into like the pastors for the women church right. in the church. Yeah. Yeah, I have definitely witnessed that. Um, you kept saying this face to face versus shoulder to shoulder. It reminds me of C.S. Lewis um, when he talks about the essence of friendship. Yeah. He says, you know, the Four essence lives, of friendship. But, yeah. yeah, exactly. It's this uh, you too, in essence of like, meaning that uh, we're not just, we're not, we're certainly not navel gazing. Sadly, I think a lot of women's ministry has gone beyond face to face. And I think you would agree with this. It's now gone to just looking at your own, your own navel. Oh yeah, mess. Like, Everybody get out your sin and let's talk about it. Right. I do think, and in Four Loves, I think he says that, that those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. Right. And, uh -huh. and that is the thing is that there's, while women are in this circle, pouring out their grief and supporting one another in their 
messes and their tangles and they're like, just hear it and feel it with one another. Nobody's going anywhere. So they're right. actually still missing what they need desperately, which is the companionship of fellow travelers, yeah. but there's no trajectory. So right. they think they're happy. They think they're getting it, but they're still missing what they're longing for. If mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yeah. It sounds like what you're saying is women, godly women need a mission. And, and it doesn't need yes. to be focused on themselves, yes. but like, what are we doing together? And I always think about like, it's not like men are called to work and women aren't. Uh, we just have two different arenas where we're called to work. And um, men in, in many ways work outside of the home with provision and protection, whereas women are called to work in the home, but it's still working. There's still a mission. And if, if women aren't thinking in terms of mission or working, then it just, yeah, it just becomes kind of this, this love fest of, you know, you're amazing, you're awesome. And that's what women's ministry right. consists of rather than you right. have a mission. Are you doing it well? If so, okay, I'll see you on the Lord's day when the pastor preaches to us because you're healthy. And if you're not doing it well, right. then let's, let's, you know, as an extracurricular, not a substitute to the Lord's day to being a part of this local church, but extracurricular, let's, uh, let's get an older woman around you to help beef up your, you know, your, your success in fulfilling your mission at home. W- would you agree with that? Yes. Yes. I think I would mostly agree with that. My, the one thing I would say is that I, I do think men and women are called to different areas, but I don't think husbands and wives are called to different areas. They're called to be a godly household and building, you know, for the kingdom, it's a kingdom building calling that a husband and wife share. Yeah. The actual roles are different, right. but it's not like what I'm doing at home is not my husband's sphere. Yeah. It's it's right. what I'm doing with him unto the Lord. So it is different in the sense that yes, I think I'm called to different I'm called to different work than he is, but it's not like they don't overlap. Like I'm called yeah. to this and he's called over there and we're not actually called to the same life together. That's helpful. So you're pushing back on like what I said in terms of, okay, we have two different, the difference between men and women is we have two different spheres. Cause you're right. I, I should clarify. It's less of that. Right. It's more of no, we're, like we're right. both trying to build the kingdom by building godly households. And so it's not so much we're working right. in two different spheres, but, but we're working in two different exactly. ways. You're, you're doing one right. thing so, and I'm doing another. Yeah, Go ahead. exactly. So it's the same but I would say my husband and I, so I think it's an important distinction that what I'm doing at home, I'm doing as his helper. Yes. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it because this is my work. I'm doing it because this is his work and he, and God has given him me to help him get this accomplished. Yeah. So that is, it is different as far as it's not as, uh, I don't think that the home is like, the woman's domain, like the woman is stuck here. I think it's right. my domain. Like God has called me to do this work on behalf of us as a family and his, yeah. his people. Uh, that's yeah. really good. I've heard it said before. I can't remember the exact reference, but I've heard it said that, um, that a woman is always like similar to what your dad has said with Doug Wilson, uh, in terms of like a man, even his absence, uh, he's still, no matter what, he's the head of his home. And, uh, and so whether yeah. that's an empty chair or a abusive chair yeah. at the table or a godly chair, either yeah. way, he's the head of his home. He's just, he's a good one or a bad one. In the same way, right. would you, would you, I, I've heard it said that a woman is always going to be the helpmate of a man. It's either going to be her husband or it's going to be, she's going to be building the household of her husband, or she's going to be building, if she works for some company, she's nine times out of 10 building another man's 
kingdom. Mm-hmm. He's, she's, 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 she's helping a man build something as his helpmate. And, and what we want to encourage women to do is uh, use that energy, use those gifts, use that, that love and everything that God's given you to build up your husband's, uh, his house. W- would you agree with that statement? I don't know. I actually think I'm thinking as you say that, I don't know that I would say that that in the same way that there's no exceptions, that that's what would be happening. Um, but I think it's very typical. I mean, that's that, that's that Chesterton quote, right? Uh, mm-hmm. About the million women who rose up and said, we will not be dictated to and became stenographers. Mm. Like, like <laughs> don't tell me what to do. I'll be your secretary. You know? Right. Like, right. Um, just, hilarious but but yes i believe that that's often the case but i don't know that i'd want to say that's a universal rule gotcha either. so so you want to say it's as universal as uh, a man being the head of his home but you but you would be willing to admit that there is an irony that often seems to be true oh, yeah totally yeah. yeah that's okay. typically the case for sure fair enough okay so here's another question how can pastors who biblically should be male how can they effectively love and shepherd 50 typically 50% of their church, namely uh, the women. Uh, okay, so when it comes to women's ministry, I sometimes make this distinction that I think women should be thinking in terms of a ministry of women. What can we do to, together that is a ministry uh, versus there's really only one ministry of the church and it's for men and women, right? The ministry of the word and sacrament. That's what is that's not something that is for men only, right? So because the office of preaching and pastoring is for men, biblically, that doesn't mean that it is only effective for the men in the congregation. It's mm. for all of God's people, yeah. including, you know, children, women, everyone should be under the faithful teaching of God's word. And that's really the ministry. The one ministry of the church mm. is that. Mm. So. I would say the most critical thing is for a pastor to be faithfully preaching God's word, Mm. faithfully teaching God's word. And uh, one of the most common ways that pastors don't love the women in their church is by being afraid of them. And Mm. I think that 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 I have joked sometimes one of the best things my husband, one of the most wonderful things about my husband is how he's not at all afraid of me. (laughs) Um, And what I mean by that is that it's a real mercy to women in a church when the pastor is not afraid to say something that might upset some women in the Mm. church or afraid to. Because I think this has been a really bad little cycle that we've gotten into. The pastor is afraid to directly address women Mm -hmm. in the the congregation. And because he's afraid to directly address women, like because he's not a woman, because the women will, you know, in a lot of places, there will be huge outcry and the women will get their husbands mad and every, you know, it'll turn into a big scene if he addresses right. the women. So then what they end up doing is they have a bunch of women who need something. So then they add, they start a women's ministry where the whole premise of why they're asking a woman to do it is because we don't want to say a thing that actually addresses the women. So then you have created this bizarrely emotional situation where we, we exist to serve the emotions of the women in the church mm. rather than the church exists or the, the preacher is preaching because he serves God and his word. Right. And, the, and the people are called to come under that and obey God's word. Instead, it's like, well, we'll start a whole other branch of things where we won't say the hard things to right. women. Right. And, I, and I think that that's just, it really, really belittles women. Yeah. 
to, yep. to think that, that godly Christian women cannot hear God's word preached and apply it to their life and actually be as encouraged by that as, as men are. Right. Um, Yep. Yeah. No, it's, you're right. It's demeaning to women. It's it, that they won't be as edified, they won't be as encouraged, but also that they um, that they can't, can't handle it. They can't, you handle, can't it. handle it. Right. That they don't you have. You can't handle it if God's word says something to you. That's right. So, like, I mean, if we, I, I, it's so funny how, you know, like, I mean, if you just do like a YouTube search for like courageous preachers and courageous sermons, um, you know, like it's so often if I had a dollar for every time I hear some pastor, you know, just railing on the men in the church, you know, you, yeah. you sleazy, lazy, you know, you're with your porn problems. Yeah, exactly. Disgusting, you're, you're lazy. Yeah, exactly. You're boys who can shave. Right. If we, you know, if we had a and dollar, for like, like, amen, amen. Yes, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking that's courageous. It doesn't sound like it t took much courage because I hear a roaring applause in the background. Um, you want to hear a pastor get up there and say, I know you're being lazy housewives right. and you're disrespecting your right. husband. Yeah, it's not going to go over so big. Right. That would take some courage. I would take like when, <laughs> when I when I want to be inspired by courageous men, I like to read, you know, just the first chapter of Amos that starts off with, you know, yeah. calling women cows. You know, like that's, I'm like, wow, 2020, <laughs> I, that's courage. I would courage. say that, I, that I'm not sure that I think that style of preaching <laughs> is super effective in any direction. So, yeah, I agree. yes, it could be courageous, but it might, it might not be effective. Yeah, I'm, so I'm not saying you have to use that tone, but the fact that like Amos, a yeah. man is, and, and, but that's what you're getting at is that it's not about the man, yeah. it's about the word. It's right. the word of God. Yeah. Amos had the word of God. And, yeah. and so the mm -hmm. credibility doesn't, doesn't rest ultimately with the messenger. It rests with the message. And I, I can't help but think that some of this is just the outflowing implications of our man-centered churches, our man-centered ministries, our man-centered theology, that if it's all about meeting felt needs, well, then eventually, uh, if it's all about the people and not about God, um, as it goes to, to the people in the pews, well, eventually that's going to affect the pulpit, meaning that the person in the pulpit, uh, the authority begins to rest on him, the man, uh, yeah. rather than the message. And so I think a lot of times men, male pastors, don't feel like they can really call out some of the sins that the Bible very clearly addresses in women uh, because they think that they don't have the credentials to do so by virtue of not being a woman. And But ultimately that entire right. sentiment, what it does in effect is it, is it, it, it transfers the authority from the word to, to the man. Yeah, to the person. So one thing that's interesting about that is that I'm a woman, so I can call out women on their sins, but I can tell you that it doesn't go better. Like it's not, it's not like just because you're a woman and you say, listen, I also have toddlers and you need to get up and deal with this. Like you right. can't, you can't, like if someone says, you know, I woke up and my toddler had a dirty diaper. And so I just hid in my bed for an hour. Well, I could be like, you know what? I've woken up and had a toddler with a dirty diaper also. And your job is to get up and go handle that. Right. And it doesn't matter because, because what they're saying you have to have experienced is exactly what they're doing. You have to have stumbled exactly the way they have and mm. not see any solution to it. That's, yeah. that's what's required. You, because the fact good. that I've lived through things doesn't make it more attractive to women who don't want to actually hear the answer to it. You know, yeah, like, <laughs> that's super helpful. It, it reminds me of Jesus. Like he's a merciful high priest because he too has been tempted, but he associates with the lowly, not because he shares in our sin. 
but because he's shared yeah. in a, a commonality of temptation experiences. So what you're saying is that that like what what uh, sadly m- many women in the church today are are wanting is is not even a shared experience. Even that is kind of a, a veil for what they really want is a, a shared a shared Definitely. surrender to the flesh. Would you would you yes. agree with that? It's, it has to be, you also are stuck in the same mud right. with me. Not not like, you know the way to get out of this and you're giving me a hand. Yeah. It's like, I don't want I don't want an escape. I don't want right. to get out. I, I want to be here. Which you actually see in things all over the internet. Like, um, you know, there are always these little posts of people being like, here's 20 things you should never have said to your friend who had a miscarriage. Yeah. Right? Or here's where they're itemizing all the time what you may not do to me because right. the privileged position has been switched to be the person who's actively in sin or in a problem in some way. Mm. That's the one, that's the privileged position. The people right. who are not in the problem are the right. ones that we perceive as being sinning. You know, someone who reaches right. out their hand to you saying all things work together for good. Yeah. We'll be like, you disgust me, you heartless. You know, like if you right. if you quoted that at a time like this, you know, it's right. uh, you're being insensitive. Yeah. yeah. No, you're right. So like They're privilege privilege has shifted to the one who is in the muck and the mire. And with privilege, of yes. course, in our culture today, I mean what you're speaking to is more generally, it's it's not just related to women, but but on the whole, yeah. uh, with privilege in our culture today comes power. So the so the power, the one who holds the power is uh, the one who the is, one in the sin. That's right. The, the one, one in the problem is the one with the power about how everybody else ought to get them out of it. And I have right. told we we I have teenagers, uh, and we always laugh about this because sometimes if you're like okay somebody's in a bad mood and mm-hmm. say you're talking to them about it or you're teasing them about it. And they're, they'll be like, mom, I, it's not helping. You know, like this isn't helping your efforts to make me overcome this are not helping. And we always laugh about this. They laugh also. I just mm-hmm. said, that's great. If you know what will help, then why don't you go handle it yourself? Because right. of course, of course, I'm not going to have the, like, of course me saying, all right, we got to get past this. Of course, I don't always know exactly what is the thing that will pull you out of it. But in the absence of you handling it, I'm having to try. Right. So, so if you have the if you have the perfect knowledge about how to get a woman who's going through a grief to not be bitter at everyone and to not whatever, well, then go ahead and handle it yourself. You shouldn't be just telling everyone else how to do it. Right. <laughs> Right. Yeah, that's good. You keep using this phrase like get out of it, get out of it. And it just keeps making me think of um well, it just make, it makes me think of like in our culture today in the church, sadly, is no exception. But uh, one of the most esteemed virtues seems to be empathy. So like when you say get me out of it, yeah. whereas, you know, you've you've said multiple times now what what many women sadly want is when they're in it and the proverbial it being sin, um, weakness, struggling, right. suffering, difficult It's this quicksand. And, and when someone is in that quicksand. Uh, rather than than a helping hand to get them out, what they want is for somebody else not to get them out, but to get in to to uh, not to yes. not to like sympathy is to suffer with, uh, but empathy is to suffer in. And and so I think that that's right. that's not just particular to women, but our culture as a whole right now is just all about empathy, empathy, empathy. Just even watching yeah. the DNC. I mean, if I you know if if we could. Some, if we played a drinking game and you had to take a take a swig every time the word empathy was said by Michelle Obama and everybody else, like we'd be plastered. Yeah. You know, I'd be disqualified yeah. from being an elder. I, so I know could I'm you talk about that? The, 
Yeah, I know I'm going to get the details of this wrong because it's been quite a while since I read Pilgrim's Progress. But okay. I should have because now I'm going to cite it anyways. All right. Um, I think it's Christian and Hopeful who end up in Doubter's Castle. Uh-huh. Like they Doubting end up Castle. locked up and it's and it's like they're stuck in there because they went off of the way and things are so they're in a big tangle, right? They're right. doubting everything. It's a terrible time. Uh, I think it's the giant despairs. Uh-huh castle and they're in there and i think it might be some other character mr greatheart or someone who who comes there but that character who comes is the one who he doesn't come in there to curl up with them and be sad with them Mm -hmm. he comes in there to rebuke them and tell them that the key is in their pocket like you have the key to get out of here Mm -hmm. what are you doing (laughs) i think and i think that that uh, that's the problem is that we've we've taken it as a great thing that empathy is for someone who is not currently locked in Doubter's Castle to go in there and sit and weep with right. them. But if you actually know the answer, if you know Christ, if you know the answer, then you're being awful to go just sit in there you're and right. weep with them. Right? right. Like that's that's really unkind. Right. Um, and and so, yeah, I think Christians just need to have a thicker skin about being accused of being unkind when what you're offering is kindness. You know, if you think, but Christ, this is kindness, this is mercy. And, but we're so vulnerable to being told that we're being unkind or that we're not like, that's a thing that stresses Christians out. Yeah. So consequently it's used all the time on us, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're told that all the time. So, well, gonna have to get a thicker skin about that <laughs> yeah i completely agree yeah i i, I think um we often we want just a, a fellow cellmate as we're rotting in in jail yeah. rather than actually someone being an extension of christ himself uh, fulfilling the role right. of a deliverer like we, we're, yes. we're called to be an extension of christ where we are delivering people from bondage and from sin and uh but but in our culture today, that's not, people don't want deliverance. It reminds me of Jesus when he, no. you know, he says, do you want to be well? You know, in John chapter five, the, the man who's lame at the pool of Bethesda, and it seems like such a, such a, a pointless question, but it's Jesus. So there's probably a right. point, you know, but do you want to be well implying not everybody does. Not everybody wants yeah, to no. be well. You know, Certainly so. not. They don't. Um, I also think about, like you said, like mourning with those who mourn. So that empathetic, you know, just join me in my misery, join me in my pain. Don't actually help me. Don't help me get out, suffer, not with, but in, get in the muck and mire. It makes me think of, you know, another, you know, very, very, very often used uh, scripture today, Romans 12, you know, mourn with those who mourn. But I, I can't help but think that the first half of the verse is rejoice with those who rejoice. And if we look at, you know, if we just cross-reference over to 1 Corinthians 13 with rejoicing, um, we, we see that love, that is biblical love, the love that, that imitates God who is love, uh, rejoices, but it rejoices only in the truth. And so if we took that rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn, and we say, but true Christian rejoicing only right. rejoices in the truth. And then we just apply that to the second half of the verse, meaning that we should only mourn in the truth. Then one of the right. first questions we have to ask, I feel like, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the first questions we should ask our fellow brother or sister in Christ, if they're mourning, is, uh, are, are you mourning in the truth? Because I can only mourn with you if you're, if you're mourning righteously, if we overturn Roe Ro versus Wade, right. there would be millions of people mourning in our nation the loss of their legal yeah. right to murder their children. But as Christians, yeah. obviously, we don't mourn with them. So the, the, it's got to be the no. implicit, the implicit, you know, 
component of mourn with those who mourn is mourn with those who mourn righteously. And if, and if we're mourning right. with someone who is mourning sinfully, then, then we're really just validating and affirming their sin. Would you agree with that sentiment? Yes, although I still like, so say someone goes through a real great major loss or tragedy, Christians are called to mourn with that person. And we're also called to keep them on the path of godly mourning. So right. it doesn't mean like if a woman loses her husband and she starts to say something or starts to be angry with God that you're like, well, I'm out of here. You know, right. you need to have companionship of people, Yes. you know, focusing you on Christ. But a thing that I would say that happens more commonly now is people say, don't talk to me about that's I mentioned that already you know all things work together for good people are like don't talk about that kind of thing don't talk about Christ at a time like this right. like just feel my pain don't right. try to say don't try to say godly things and one of the things and they often say because the Bible says weep with those who weep right, right. they're like so yeah. that's what I'm doing I'm gonna weep with those who weep and uh, one of the things I think is so interesting about that is have you ever met a Christian who really knows the Lord really loves the Lord who could point to Christ and talk of Christ in the face of a tragedy and not be weeping with those who weep. Right. Like, like I think, you know, you, someone loses a child and you go to talk to them about our savior and our hope in Christ. It's not like that's a feelingless event. Right. Like you're talking about our dearest hope and our fiercest love. It's not like you're talking about the thing that doesn't matter at all. It's not platitudes. It's right. not. Yeah. And of course I can imagine a time that a Christian who's too afraid of what's happening would just want to paper some Bible verses onto it and leave so they could get out of there. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's just someone who's not going to be helped no matter what, right. right? Like that's someone who's just too fearful to be helped in that time. Yeah. But all the real tragedies I can think of, you have a real Christian who loves the Lord. They're weeping with those who weep while they're pointing to Christ. Right. They're, you know, like there's no way that yes. they can do that while not caring. Mm. Right. And so that's why even your weeping is truthful in that, in that moment. Right. Yep. No, I completely agree. And, and what you're describing, even some of the, like the hypothetical situations you threw out were, um, again, I, I, were things that I would um, categorize as, as mourning or weeping righteously, like the loss of a child oh, yeah. or the loss oh, yeah, of your husband. Sure. Certainly those are good things. Whereas sadly there, there are, are moments where what's being mourned is, um, something that um, the loss of something that, that in Christ we were never actually even meant to have something that we're something that yeah, we're supposed yeah. to lose like self you know and, and uh, oh, yeah. like I've you know like so the, the, the woman you know who's weeping the loss of her own identity because now she's a mother and uh, yeah, yeah. you know so but yeah, th yeah that's great yes I don't I even there though I think a Christian coming alongside to point them to Christ is still going to be talking about their most closely held dearest beliefs it's compassionate mm -hmm. to do that it's not it's not like that's missing compassion that you're engaged in the deeper discussion with someone yeah. even if they're having a petty problem yeah that's good uh, yeah because, because god cares about our yeah. little problems um our uh, petty problems yeah. yeah amen because well because really in the big scheme of things with the god they're of the universe petty. they're all petty <laughs> problems that's right um okay so here's another question uh, should women teach other women? So whatever form of women discipling women, because I know you believe in, so whether there's a formal women's ministry or not, 
Um, that, that's, you know, the, you know, that's a different subject, but, but certainly we both believe that women should be um, discipling other women. And, uh, and so in that discipleship, whatever the context may be, um, in that discipleship, should, should there be a lot of emphasis on um, women teaching other women doctrines, like, like theology proper, teaching them about, you know, the, um, the Trinity or the, the two, you know, two right. natures of Christ? Or should, should there be kind of a uh, intentional focus in, in the teaching with women teaching other women? Um, should, it be, should it be more regulated to teaching things that specifically relate to women? And my question is coming from, uh, just to give you a heads up, my question is coming from Titus 2, but this could be, you know, I, this could be too, too narrow of a reading of the text. And so I, I'm open to your pushback. Right. But uh, Titus 2, starting in verse 3, says, uh, Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. Wine. They are to teach. So there is a teaching capacity. They are to teach what is good. And so, verse 4 now, And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Uh, would you see that verse three and four of Titus two as this is what women should teach other women and hold that real tight, like it, like almost exclusively teaching these things? Or would you have a category for a bunch of women in the church getting together and a woman teaching them, we're going to teach doctrine of God? What, what do you think okay, about that? I, I think that this is actually... Um, like, I just want to be clear that I don't think scripture is overdoing itself on clarity on this, which means that I would probably really have a problem. Like, I think it could be way more harmful to have a situation where the pastor is saying the women are not allowed to talk theology together. I think that that's just creepy in a way, right? Mm -hmm. Like to be like, we're banning you from these discussions or whatever. That would be weird. What right. I can say, practically speaking. So I mentioned already that, that I'm heavily involved in the Bible reading challenge. Uh -huh. This is, this is a thing that the women in our women's ministry, this is a thing that the women in our church do, which is hosting this Bible reading challenge where we're encouraging one another to be in the word. We're pushing, uh, we're trying to get women who've never read their Bibles to be reading their Bibles. We're, we're really working to get women in the word. We do specifically not teach doctrine. Mm. So we, and that's intentional. The, in, and the intention there is that we intend to teach a love of the word. We want to teach the habits of being in the word. Mm -hmm. We do not want to get into trying to teach everyone doctrine. Does that mean that we don't talk about doctrine? No, it doesn't. It's like table fellowship. We do talk about the doctrine. Right. We do talk about what does this mean? What's this about? Ask your pastor. Talk to, you know, like, look gotcha. at, like, so, so I have no problem at all with women being very, I want women to be very word centric and doctrine literate. So yes. I am very, very in favor. Like all of our daughters are receiving the same education as our sons. That's right. We want them learning doctrine and we want them learning theology and we want them to be well educated and thoughtful. So it's not like I, I don't ever want to be perceived as saying women don't need you know, like, because you'll see people now saying things like women need theology, too. And it's like, well, of course of they course. do, because women need God and we need to understand God as he's revealed himself. So, of course. 
but do women need to be trying to be pastors, like right. trying to trying to look through all the commentaries and do all this? And I would just say no, because this is going to be a weird. This is going to be a weird example. Just stick with me for a second. Right. So, um, when my husband goes to work and he's out doing all this on behalf of our family, he brings home a paycheck. Well, I translate that paycheck into hot food on the table, right? Mm -hmm. Like I translate his work into something that, that blesses my family, that mm -hmm. blesses the children. But when I bless the children with a hot meal, I'm blessing them with the love of their father, mm -hmm. right? Like they're, they're, the love of their father elsewhere is something that I have translated into physical comfort and mm -hmm. love for, for them. So I think in many ways, in a really healthy functioning church, what you have happening is a godly pastor preaching the word and the men receive that and, and do one kind of work with that and the women do the translation work and mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that we don't need to know what like we need to know the thing that we're translating right, right. you know like we need to know that but we're not that's not our emphasis is not on that part so we joke that, so the Bible reading challenge, we have, I, I think it's close to 25,000 women in the Facebook group doing the Bible reading right now. Mm -hmm. But it's like a hospitality ministry of the women in our church. Mm -hmm. But we're spending the money in the bank of, of all these women being taught from the word, being right. like, we're, the money that we're spending in this hospitality is the money of male leadership and teaching right. and like that's what we're doing yeah so we're not trying to start like a doctrine class for women right. but we absolutely are in favor of women knowing what they think about doctrine right um and i would say that when we shifted this thinking uh to focusing on getting women in the word what the titus two things specifically titus two things came out so much more naturally wow. when our focus was getting women in the word. Then you had women saying like, well, I could throw up, I would love to throw a party at my house to encourage people. Like you have people trying to use their hospitality for a goal. Mm -hmm. You had women encouraging one another about their lives with babies because the goal is that you'll be in God's word. So you have, you know, someone says I'm struggling with reading every day because now I have two babies. Mm -hmm. There'd be a huge comment thread of women being like, I listen first thing in the morning when I'm nursing the baby and this is what I do. And it was a ton of practical advice from yeah. people who also love God's word. So I guess the only thing I would say is to be very careful to not start making weird gender divisions that God doesn't make, because mm -hmm. I do think we need to, um, I do think that women need to understand theology, yeah. but I do also think that there's a real danger in women trying to become theology wonks because that's not what we're called to. We're called to translating the things that we've been taught into culture building, kingdom building, home building work. Mm -hmm. And right. that, that should be our emphasis. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I think for me, the question was coming from a place of just thinking that, um, not, not for a second doubting um, the need for women to know theology, discuss theology, yeah. be applying theology, talking about theology. Um, I think for me, it's just, um, I, I just have, I'd like to think it's a holy suspicion uh, when, yeah. when, when women gravitate towards, you know, and I'm sure we're thinking of some of the same women in, in the evangelical public sure. sphere, but uh, it's like, 
you know, this woman is like, okay, but what is, she, what is this conference even over? What is she talking about? Like, she's talking about theology proper. And it's like something yeah. like theology proper, like be, because, so agreeing with you, because there isn't some hardline distinction between men and women on this issue, because there's one yeah. God who eternally exists in three yeah. persons and we share one Bible. Uh, wh why do you have to be taught this subject by a woman? What, you know what I mean? Like, what, what, yeah. what's the, well, why, why, why is the Lord's Day, the, the male pastor preaching the text on the Lord's Day, talking about theology proper? Why, why do we need something specific? Why does it have to come from a woman? You see what I'm saying? Uh, yep. Yeah, and I'll, two things. One is I think your suspicion is accurate because a lot of the time that is not a standalone event it's it's part of a fast break for the pulpit right yes. like it's it's yeah. part it is there's a trajectory happening mm -hmm. so if there's like some sweet lady in your church who's like you know what i need to read i you know i i need to brush up on what i believe about the trinity so she's reading a book on the trinity right. there's zero threat to anything there because she's right. just like i've realized there's something i don't understand about my faith and i want to flesh that out right that's good and wholesome awesome and right yeah. but when it's like women we have to rise up and and teach one another the attributes of god right you're like well what are you doing like what's the trajectory of this right. and why are you doing that right. i will i you would enjoy this i was at a conference sometime where in the q a and a women's thing they uh asked what book has most influenced you for the glory of God, mm -hmm. other than the Bible. Mm -hmm. And uh, this was a very, this was, would have been a group where it was way cooler for it to have been a theology book, right? right. So uh, I think one of the answers was, uh, you know, the attributes of God, A.W. Pink, the attributes of God. Uh, and, you know, it was that kind of like, this is uh, intellectual knowledge of right. God. and. And knowing that it would provoke something and still doing it anyways, because I thought it would be funny as I said, <laughs> it is. I, I, I did say that's like saying what was your best conversation ever? Like there have been mm -hmm. a lot of books that have influenced me. I don't mm -hmm. want to, you know, but I said I would say most recently the Tartine Bread Cookbook <laughs> and the amount of shock and awe that you would say something like that mm -hmm. when talking about the glory of God. Right. And this was from a very conservative group that's very all about resisting the influence of Beth Moore and resisting right. the influence. Like, it's all about not be, not letting women right. into the pulpit. But the fact that I would say that a cookbook mm -hmm. had been influential in my life was like, what do you think? Like, it, it so clearly came right. off as horrifically flippant and mm -hmm. and reckless it yeah. was funny i i uh well i listened to that moment and i i know which conference oh, you're referencing. i didn't know it was listenable um <laughs> well i either listened to it i can't remember or i listened to you talk about it on some some yeah, kind yeah, of maybe. podcast format but i i heard this story sure. and uh, i thought it was i thought it was really funny also so <laughs> I, yeah, that's something yeah, i i appreciate about you your willingness you take after your dad your willingness to just <laughs> hey i think i'm gonna ruffle couple feathers here so um here, I, like half the crowd was like clearly delighted yeah like, this uh -huh. is interesting and the other half was like i mean really scowling at me. <laughs> such, a funny, such a funny moment <laughs> yeah I, I bet um okay so i got one more big question uh that, that okay. i want to take just a moment uh to hear your thoughts on um i know that some my wife in particular and other women in our church have have asked 
you know, this question to me saying like, hey, you're going to interview Rachel, ask her this question. So um, they wanted to hear your thoughts because I think on um, What Have You, your podcast with your sister, Becca, um, there was an episode or two where from time to time you guys just discuss, you know, the concept of women confessing their sins to one another. So this is the question. What are your thoughts on accountability groups for women? And should women regularly confess their sins to other women? If not, what, what's the proper context? How should that be done? Okay. I just think women need to get a lot more Protestant up in there and realize that we actually have Jesus. Mm. Like, you don't need to get in a little cubby. I mean, we're not Catholic. You don't need to get somewhere and confess your sins to a priest and have him pass it on. Mm-hmm. You need to, you confess your sins to Christ. Now, if there's something that you need accountability on, because you actually feel like this is an area where I'm really keep on failing and I need help. That is different. I'm not trying to say you don't ever need counsel or encouragement or whatever from other people. But I would say your first response should be to look for that accountability from your husband, Mm -hmm. which women frequently do not do because frequently these things are about their husbands. It's frequently some, it's frequently a already letting someone else into the marriage in a way that they should not be. Right. Um, And to confess to your husband, something is a lot more like jumping off the high dive. It's Mm -hmm. someone who will be there to see if you're like, I've used this example before, but when I realized, I think women can lie about all kinds of things. And when I had four really little kids, mm-hmm. uh, I said a lot of the time I was overwhelmed. You know, I had twin infants and two toddlers. And I would be like, I'm just really overwhelmed. You know, like I'm, I'm overwhelmed. And at some point, I think I just, it just the Lord, you know, the Holy Spirit, he's kind, he shows us things. I just saw it, that nobody's going to challenge me on this. Mm. You know, like if I say I'm overwhelmed, who has the nerve to tell me, knock it off, suck it up, be a, you know, I mean, like nobody, uh, Luke was of course very encouraging, but he, even he wasn't going to argue with me that you're not overwhelmed right there. And so I actually needed to confess to him to say, you know what? I'm not going to say that anymore. This is what God has given me to do. This is my normal workload now. Like this is normal. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to say that anymore. Well, telling him that, Man, I was actually burning my bridge all the way. That's right. right like, yeah. like I, I actually removed a, I like, or it's sort of like if a woman is lying about having a headache when what the real issue right. is, is that she doesn't feel like doing her work. Mm-hmm. Well, nobody can hold you accountable on that because they can't actually know. Right. Mm-hmm. But, but if you go tell your husband, forgive me for lying about having a headache because I just didn't want to deal with bedtime. Well, right. you've really burned a bridge there. Like you're at, that's actual accountability. Yeah, you're right. You know? And my dad says all the time about this, like accountability groups for teen boys where they can all get together and tell each other that they struggled with porn again. Mm-hmm. He's like, there's no accountability there. Try telling your mother, you mm-hmm. know, like go tell someone outside of this temptation set right. what you're struggling with and you will get a whole other level of accountability. Yeah. Like, you yeah. start... You know, and I think that that's the thing is that we like the idea of accountability, but we're finding the easiest possible places to get it that won't challenge us. Right. So that's super I would say helpful. start with your husband. Don't think you confess your sins to your friends and do a quick little litmus test of 
why do I want to tell this friend? Right. Like, uh-huh. what am I? Act- what do I actually think I'm going to get out of this? Because if you're telling a friend who is going to slap you upside the face for doing that, right. you know, then then you know you're actually looking yeah. for accountability. That's you're actually something. looking for something. But if you're wanting to tell a friend who will be like, oh my word, I totally did the same thing this week. Right. I yes, I totally understand, and I'll pray for you too, but with zero actual challenge. That's right in that relationship. Uh, so that would be how I would say it is, a, you know, a litmus test. I think you want friends who are like, I would call them running partners in the sense that they are also pursuing Christ. They are also running after Christ right. and that they have as little tolerance for your sin as they do for their own. Yeah. That's, that's what we want in friendship. So mm-hmm. if you reach out to someone like that with a problem right. and you're like, here it is, you know, um, and I recently just, I recently just heard from a woman who was telling me she's in her group of four accountability partners, what they're talking about. I mean, I assume they talk about other things. I don't know, but the, but the thing that she was contacting me about what they're talking about is their own grief and the way they feel about their husband's struggles with porn. Right, right. So I'm like, that's a hot mess, everyone. Yeah. Like this is this is a real problem. Yeah. But you're not doing anything to make it better by calling up all your girlfriends. Right. You know, like let me call and disrespect my husband to mm-hmm. all of you so that you all know. I mean, it's a it's a horrible tangle. And in those cases, I would say just cut line and get out of that. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. That's yeah, yeah. That's really helpful. I completely agree. Me. If I could, so I completely agree with that. Super helpful. Thank you. If I could. It's not even a pushback. It's just an addition. I think the one thing that I would add is, so you're saying that litmus test, like let's, you know, there's a couple things to, to take into account when I'm, when I'm contemplating whether or not I should confess something and which person, you know, who I should confess this to. And, and you spoke of, of that in, in the vein of um, accountability. Is this person going to call me out? Is this person, um, if it's right. really easy to confess to this person, it's probably not a person that I need to confess it to because confession hurts. Yeah. It's, it's hard. And, and like you said, you're well, burning, you're burning bridges. You're, you're, you're giving up. Yeah. You're giving, you're, you're, yeah. you're calling someone to hold you accountable. The only thing I wanted to add to that is just, um, so when, when we're doing that litmus test, trying to discern who's the right person to confess to, and we're taking into account who will hold me accountable. I think also just, um, another, another litmus test. I just think of Bonhoeffer and, um, and saying that one of the reasons why, you know, we confess our sins one to another, that we might pray for one another, that we might be healed, is because at the end of the day, you, you started out by saying we confess to Christ. We're Protestant and hearty yes and amen. Um, but I've noticed that um, my reluctance or, or my, my complete negligence to confess to my fellow men uh, sometimes is representative, often is representative of the fact that I'm not even really confessing it to Christ. Meaning that um, if if I'm not comfortable to confess this to anyone, so there's a lot of debate to be had for which men, which women to confess to. Um, But if I'm not willing to confess this to anyone as far as a fellow man, am I really confessing it to Christ? And so I think sometimes the Protestant goes too far saying, well, I'm confessing to Christ. But but my question would be, but if you're not confessing to anyone horizontally, uh, you might internally not truly be even confessing it to Christ. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. But I would, I guess I would bring up something that I think is interesting here. If you're confessing it to Christ, if you know it's a sin, you've confessed it to Christ, Mm -hmm. then confessing it to other people 
is actually a testimony to Christ, yes. right? Like uh-huh. you're, you're like, I have got, this has been put right with right. Christ. And yeah, you're not trying to keep a super secret, like you're not a sinner or you don't right. have problems. Right. Uh, but, but that's, I think that what we're supposed to do with one another is that free and easy acknowledgement of our own sinner's relationship to a savior, right? Yes. Like it is the fact that yes, I like, I am failing here and I am confessing it and I'm getting it right. And Christ is faithful and this is whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think that many people are trying to use, like they're trying to use their friends as a way of dealing with the sin without ever, like yep. there's some kind of catharsis that you said it out loud that you right. did this and that, and you're using that as a stand-in for actual confession. I, I completely agree. It's funny. It's like on, on one hand, there's like two things that, you know, you hold intention on one hand, there, there's a, um, a, a tendency, a, um, a leaning towards, I'd rather confess to Christ than tell any person uh, because he's far more merciful than people tend to yeah. be. On yeah, the other yeah. hand, there's like, I'd rather confess this to my friends they understand uh, than Christ it <laughs> because, because Christ is, so he's on, on one, there's the appeal because he's merciful. There's, there's the fear because he's also far more holy. And, you know, and so yeah. there's this sense of like, I don't mind confessing this to this group of friends because they're not holy at all. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because but it's, they're, but it's so odd they won't care. Jesus is one who already knows about it. He's the right. one who already knows. Uh, absolutely. And so the yeah. reality is telling him is, is a commitment to not, it's a commitment to breaking ties with the sin. Yes. Right. Like, and, and otherwise it's like, and that's the thing when I was talking about, Bernie Bridges, that's the heart of it, right? right? Like true confession to Christ is turning your back on your sin. It's right. saying, I'm, I, I'm changing direction here. Right. Um, and that's what I think is just really the key about whether or not you should talk to other friends about it is are yep. you actually turning your back on the sin? No, you're absolutely right. When, when we confess to the omniscient God, we're not informing him. What we're really doing is we're, Who are we surprising? Right, exactly. So we're not we're not informing him yeah. like we do with our fellow no. man. But what we're really doing is it's simply it's agreeing with him. I agree with you, Father. Yeah, yeah. And what you say about this, that you call it sin, you call it vile, and I'm agreeing with you and I am committing yeah. to um, to to actually changing, to repenting. Um okay, so yeah. Thank you so much, Rachel. I, I want to give you a moment just to, um, to tell people how they can follow you, how they can keep up with what you're doing. Tell us about uh, the Bible reading challenges. I told you before we started recording, uh, this episode probably won't air until October. But yeah. um, if you could tell people a little bit about uh, how to follow you, how to keep up with you. If you want to plug a book, tell them about the Bible reading challenge. Go ahead and do, do that right now. Sure. Um, you can find me on Instagram. As Rachel Jacobic, I'm on Facebook also, but the Bible reading challenge is where it's at, where you do, it's year round. In the summer, we do the New Testament and in the academic year, we do the whole Bible. Uh, so if you stick with us any day that you jump in, then that day, a year later, you will have read the New Testament twice, the Old Testament once, mm-hmm. and a bunch of epistles and things five or six times. Um, so. Awesome. So jump in by all means, and you can find all the details at totheword.com. Great. Well, thanks again so much, Rachel. And for our listeners, uh, if you have not yet become a responder, one of our club members, um, take this opportunity to go ahead and do that because we're going to um, 
ask Rachel a couple bonus questions, and that'll be exclusive content for our responders. And so if you want to uh, check out the bonus questions and just to whet your appetite, listeners, I'm going to go ahead and, and, uh, and say those now. So the first question is, uh, what are some of the distinctions, Rachel, between how you would raise your sons versus how you would raise your daughters? And the second one is, uh, why should Christian women care about beauty and aesthetics, specifically in the realm of their home? And how would you respond to a Christian woman uh, who would say that this is shallow? So those are our bonus questions. I'm going to go ahead and come back with Rachel and we're going to record those. And uh, we encourage you, if you haven't become a responder uh, with Right Response Ministries, take this opportunity to go ahead and do that. Thanks again, Rachel, so much uh, for coming on the show today. We appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening. But real quick, before you go, do us a small favor, take a moment and leave us a five-star review if you enjoyed the show. This is undoubtedly the best way that you can help us get this biblically faithful content to as many people as possible. Thanks so much.